0: Hello and welcome to the Everything is Black and White podcast, I'm Andrew Musgrove, uh, today joined by Chris Woff. How are you doing today, Chris?
3: Not too bad, thank you, not too bad, just about, I've got numbers flying through my head from all these accounts and stuff, but yeah, not too bad, not too bad. Another
0: one-on-one here as uh, Martin Leo woke off at the moment, but as Chris has just mentioned there, we're going to start with the big news of the the week, really, which is Newcastle United's accounts they were the last Premier League club perhaps to file them, um, or one of the last anyway in all of the whole league system to file Two them. months later nearly. Yeah, um, and they've, obviously they've been filed, a lot of uh, figures have come out, you've tried to break it down into the most interesting of points, um, I mean first of all you've gone through them with a fine uh, tooth comb, uh, what is your kind of, can you, can you sum it up essentially, uh, just quickly and then we'll go into the final detail.
3: To sum it up, essentially they lost a heck of a lot of money by going down, it was very very expensive for them to be in the Championship for that season, the the, the year when the Premier League became the richest it has ever been, Newcastle were out of it. Essentially Newcastle maintained a mid-table Premier League budget in the Championship to try and get back there, they simply had to get promoted because of the cost they put out, they've they've managed to get through that but really they still are feeling the after-effects of that so... They did invest in that summer, but really they need to keep investing going forward because they are still quite far behind other Premier League clubs.
0: I mean, a huge loss £90 or so. Um, I suppose on one hand, you could see the figures have come out and might actually be hoping to get a bit of praise for for essentially bankrolling the club, which he did during the summer. But on the other hand, you could argue and say, well, it was his own mistakes that led uh, to relegation in the first place.
3: Yeah, can never be forgotten in all of this that Mike Ashley, eleven years he's owned the club as of today. Today, yes, precisely eleven years, and in that time they've been relegated twice. Um, One of the reasons that the wage bill shot up so much uh, was because there was no relegation wage reduction clauses in the contracts. So that's why John Joe Shelby was on around eighty grand in in the Championship. That's why the wage bill went up to one hundred twelve point two million pounds. Um, the highest ever seen in the EFL by about £30 million. So that's naive, if, if not, well, certainly at the very least naive that a per man who's already been in charge of a club which was relegated in 2008 9, uh, seven years later relegated again, didn't see it coming and didn't have those relegation reduction clauses. And the fact that you can argue years of underinvestment, ironically, the one year where he did invest net spend £80 million across the year that was under the wrong man in Steve McLaren. Went down, they signed the wrong players who now, apart from Mitrovic, are probably worth less or certainly not much more than they were then and will be moved on. And so, but then again, what he has done the two times Newcastle gone down is he has maintained what looks to a large degree to be better than the Championship squad players on high money. Last time he had the likes of Kevin Nolan, Joey Barton. This time, uh, he signed players like Matt Ritchie, got them to step down level, kept John Joe Shelby, and had to put an extra 15 million in the club. But as we say all of these are long term problems which he's created himself and he's just doing really the best what really you know I should do to get Newcastle back There could be in a sudden situation that would be the extreme on the other side they're not they had to get promoted they did but now it's about making sure Newcastle aren't in this position again which is going to require more money
0: well that, that's, that was my next point it's, it's imperative that Newcastle don't end up in the situation where he had then has to go and back them again in the championship. I suspect we were seeing similar things the first time around. We've said it over the last two windows and it looks like he hasn't backed Benitez or he hasn't backed Benitez um, with the money that Benitez has wanted. It do <laughs> Looking at Mike Ashley's history, you, you wouldn't be surprised if in you know, maybe three or four years if he's still of the club that Newcastle and I could very well be in the position in the championship again because of mistakes. He's made,
3: yeah, and this is the argument that Benitez keeps making is that you can't keep repeating the same mistakes. Have been there in the past, we've done it incorrectly. And essentially, Benitez's argument is you need to, in the current market, particularly with inflated prices over the last two years, you have to speculate to a certain degree to accumulate. Now, Newcastle would argue that since July the 1st, 2015, they've got a hundred million pound net spend on transfers. In one sense, that seems relatively impressive. Spent 46 million pound net. ...across the course of the 2017-18 campaign... ...all these accounts are from last year... ...that's confirmed in it... ...but at the same time in the current market... ...whereby Premier League survival is worth so much... ...and when Newcastle are so far behind other teams as it is... is, hundred pound over three years... ...that's what 33 million pound net per year... ...is that enough to maintain a team... ...if you want to make sure... ...you're not going to be battling against relegation... ...my argument would be no it isn't... ...you look at the teams who went down this year... West Brom had a huge wage bill. Um, Southampton early went down. They've spent a lot of money over the last few years. They've recouped a lot of money, but they've also spent a lot. They're willing to put to put money in. Stoke the same. Stoke spent quite a lot of money signed the likes of Joao, fifteen million. Yes, in one sense, it looks like Mike Ashley has supported the club, which he, he got in the position in the first place. But going forward, if he wants to avoid it, he's going to have to put more money in. The the, the fact if if what these accounts are showing us and we don't know what the accounts are like this year so we don't know if what they're showing us is that there isn't any money enough money physically within the football club at the moment Mike Ashley's going to have to put more of his own money in he doesn't want to and he made clear in that statement that the football club will give Rafa Benitez the money that it generates but if that money isn't enough to make Newcastle competitive then Mike Ashley as the owner if he wants to keep running a Premier League club is going to have to put more in
0: some of the numbers are ridiculous um, in comparison to other uh, championship teams, do you think Rafa Benitez was aware of just how bad relegation impacted on Newcastle United, uh, say that that January window when he wanted an to Andros Townsend, didn't get him, there was a lot of fallout from that, and now looking at the at the numbers, you can maybe see why he might actually didn't want to sanction going out and getting and Andros Townsend.
3: I think Benitez did know to a certain degree and I think that his argument was always that if you sign Andros Townsend part of the money you were getting for Andros Townsend anyway was set over a few years so you're essentially just writing off money that's owed to you and also he was saying if you sign Andros Townsend I'm very confident we will then be in the Premier League and then you'll get the money this summer so he was seeing that as almost just bringing forward his summer transfer budget. I'd say the one thing that as did over the course of the championship campaign, in which all managers want to, to make things uh, aid their own situations. He kept on citing the thirty million pounds from from Musa Sissoko and the, the twenty five million pounds from Ronaldo, and the fact that in theory they supposedly made thirty million pound net that summer. They did, in one sense, and that over the course of four years, that's how much they're going to get for when Wijnaldum and Sissoko, but the payments were split over four years. Newcastle didn't physically have that cash at somewhere. He knew how the payments were split, but as a, as, a, as manager, he wanted to make clear, look, we, we've done this player trade and we've managed to do this. I should have more money to spend because you're going to be owed that at some stage. Newcastle didn't want to put the money in until they had it difference of opinion there from both sides and that's just how it works but what I do like that Benitez has done is he's challenging this football club previous managers didn't challenge the ownership didn't challenge the hierarchy he's doing that he's not going to win every single argument and sometimes he isn't going to be right with every single argument but you have to keep pushing because as we said it was years of underinvestment which led to the situation where Mike Ashley had to bail Newcastle out in the first place It
0: doesn't look good though for this summer you could argue because you would, you would assume even with Premier League safety and all the TV income it's still not going to be pretty reading for the accounts when they obviously they come out this time next year how does that affect Benitez's plans going going forward in this summer looking ahead to then obviously the winter window and, and further afield
3: Well it's quite a complex situation in itself because my understanding is that, that Newcastle last summer when Benitez sat down with Ashley there was an agreed budget over three transfer windows which was essentially around about £70 million now if they've already spent 46.1 Six million or whatever it is that I think it's about forty-six million is is the supposed figure of net spend last year. That would leave about twenty-four million now. Well, the the landscape changed dramatically from the very moment they left that room. Almost when the Neymar deal was done a few weeks later, transfer budget just complete their transfer budget was just dwarfed by whatever else went on in Europe and fees just. Skyrocketed, so Benitez's argument is, I need more than this, and it can't just look. That was what we agreed then. But you've had TV money across the course of this year. There's various different points on that, and that going forward, I need what is a competitive budget. And all of our rivals are going to spend more than than that as a net figure. Newcastle saying, well, you need to reduce the wage budget, which I think Benitez is now accepting. He's going to have to do. And I think the club would prefer him to sell early and then buy after, Benitez would prefer, prefer to do it the other way around because say someone like Mikel Marino whose future is a little bit uncertain, if Benitez knows he can get a replacement in similar standard, he's already got that person in, then he would completely let him go. But if he lets Mikel Marino go and then can't sign another midfielder, then he leaves himself he feels he's going to leave himself short. So there's a difference of opinion there between the club and Benitez, and that is part of what is Happening with the ongoing discussions. They're, positive, they're more positive than they were now. It looks like Benitez is going to stay, certainly in the next year. But in terms of exactly how the big the transfer budget is and how it will be spent, it's still a bit of a sticking point. Um,
0: but the hierarchy do have fears of how competitive Newcastle can be.
3: Yes, <laughs> it's, as you're, mean, saying, you're saying that because that's they list that in the accounts. There's a bit in the accounts where basically this happens for any company where you have to, to give across any... Potential risks going forward and uncertainties to the company going forward. One of which they stressed which was different the year before, is that the fear that the year before was just in terms of signing players. That's two years in a row they've done that. But Newcastle say both signing and losing players and valuable members of the of the of the coaching staff, which seemingly would mean Benitez, and they almost foresaw what was going to happen with potentially West Ham having interest there.
0: I mean, that's not a good thing to hear. Of your player, your Jamal LaSalle and you're thinking, well, you know. Team comes in for me, maybe not even a top six side, but a top eight side comes in. You go to to to, to You show me where this club's going to go, persuade me to stay, and then you're reading. Well, actually, we're, we're a little bit fearful of just how far we can we can go in the Premier League. I mean, that's not to me. That doesn't that doesn't you know shout our ambition.
3: It it doesn't, and that's part of again what Rafa Benitez is is trying to change. As I've as I've tried to make the point in the last few weeks for Benitez, it's, it's not only actual substantive changes he wants in terms of transfer policy changes to the academy upgrade of the training ground all that sort of stuff what he also wants is a change of mindset at the club he wants them to be ambitious he wants them to start thinking big and start thinking about how they can develop and progress going forward and try and really crack that top 8 and cut competitions and at the moment he doesn't think they've got that mentality certain lines in the in the accounts would suggest that's the case but if it is being run, as it seems to be, whereby Mike Ashley won't put any more money into the club, because of the fact they've spent that year in the Championship, even with the extra £15 million Mike Ashley put in an interest-free loan that summer, it's going to take another year before they really can be competitive because they're almost making up for what happened last year. And this is all, again, a situation that Mike Ashley's got them in. Personally, I think you should put still put a bit more money into it fair enough he got them back in the Premier League but to really avoid this happening again it's going to take even more revenue
0: and it reads as if Mike Ashley is now preparing to stay here for, long, for longer than we probably would have imagined six seven months ago it appears that any talk of a takeover is, is, is pretty much dead in the water uh, not to say that the club isn't up for sale yeah. because we know it is but you know everything that's going on talking with Benitez planning for the summer the accounts Suggests
3: that maybe Mike Ashley is at a perhaps a change of heart. I don't know, Serenio, if it's a change of heart, but clearly the reports keep suggesting he wants 400 million pounds plus now. Amanda Stavely was seemed to be the only really serious bidder beforehand. She wasn't prepared to pay it when it was 350 or even 325. So she doesn't seem, even though they've survived in the Premier League and there's a new TV deal coming, I don't think she's going to be prepared to pay that if she can afford to pay that, which we're still not sure if she could do anyway. So my understanding is he's been trying to source buyers in the US. As far as I'm aware, no one's come forward on that. I have no inside knowledge on that. Maybe there is someone to. Well, I have no knowledge either way on that. But every sounding that there's been, beneath, uh, Ashley's statement the other week, the talks that are ongoing, every sounding that you get at the moment is that even if the club's up for sale, Mike Ashley thinks that certainly in the medium term he's going to be... Newcastle United owner until at least the end of the summer, and this transfer window is going to have to be negotiated between Ashley and and Benitez.
0: I mean, looking at the numbers, the loss they've made, obviously the squad dropped, uh, the money that he's, he's he's going to have to put in. You know, Benitez's wage, for example.
1: This is aCast recommends. Every week, we pick one of our favourite shows. And this is one we think you're going to love.
2: Hello, I'm Jeff Lloyd and I recently had a baby with Ed Miliband. A baby podcast, that is. It's a spin-off of our show, Reasons to be Cheerful. It's called Cheerful Book Club and it's conversations with some of the best writers working in the world today. You'll really enjoy our chats with people like US broadcasting legend Rachel Maddow, literary giant Ian McEwan and the big short and moneyball author Michael Lewis. Feed your brain with ideas from the Cheerful Book Club. You'll find us on the excellent Acast app or wherever else you get your podcasts.
1: Acast is home to the biggest podcasts from Ireland and around the world. Subscribe to this show and hundreds more now via Acast or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Surely for a man who doesn't want or doesn't appear to want to own a football club... That's gonna set alarm bells ringing. In haste, you would you would you would think haste at an exit, whereas it appears to have had kind of the the other effect where he's he's maybe sticking around and thinking actually you know the yeah uh, the Premier League TV money deal all that kind of stuff. I mean, we keep saying this, you can't guess Mike Ashley's uh, plan, but uh, have a go.
3: Yeah, uh, I'm gonna just start this off by saying I I generally don't know what his plan is. It's it's a strange one because. Every time Newcastle go down, gosh, he seems to go against everything he believes in to make sure Newcastle get back to the Premier League. So everything he seems to believe in is, is pay as little money into that as possible. We scrimp on everything. We make sure we get pound for pound the best we can be, as the statement was the other year, which they've now gone back on, which was it was a ludicrous statement, in my opinion, at the time. And yeah, every time they go down, because he realises the financial shortfall, suddenly he does put a lot of money in. And it becomes a loss-making business, which is the opposite of what he likes his businesses to be. And your cats will get back up, and then he reverts to type again. So, um, at the moment, that's what I'm expecting. I think that uh, we've seen these accounts. This is from t- until the end of June 2017. Obviously, don't know the position they're in a year on. But I'd be interested to see. I imagine that wage budget is lower, considering some of the players that managed to get off the books last year. De Jong and the likes. Just also this wage budget also includes players' contracts that have essentially written off because they don't, they've don't. they included several years of their contract into one year because they don't think they've got any value, any sell-on value in the future. So I think that that you will see these numbers start to drop. And so I think Mike Astia is starting to revert a type, and I think that's part of the reason why Rafa Benitez is getting frustrated, because he, he believes that you need to invest to go forward. His business plan, his business idea is you invest first, you start getting money back, then you can compete. And see when they might actually revert to the opposite, which is we scale back, make sure that, that w- we get back into the black, for want of a better term, and then we work from there and just try and stay in the Premier League, really. Some
0: uh, positive things to come out of the of the, the accounts, uh, the charitable donations, obviously. shot of yeah.
3: that—that was—I was quite surprised, but I think a
0: brilliant. Um, a brilliant thing, obviously. We know they do a lot of work with it. the the Cashney Foundation, obviously, and you know their move into new headquarters. But I mean. That's one thing you can see in the last the last few seasons. Um, the, the football club has become much more a part of the community. You know, the, the kind of an olive branch is being handed out, and it does feel much, much bigger, much, much, uh, uh, yeah, it just feels a bigger part of the community.
3: Yeah, it feels like there's almost a warm third being reconnected. I still think there's always going to be some suspicion and some almost a standoffish nature between. Newcastle United and, and certain parts of the community as, as long as Mike Ashley is in charge there's so many people who are never going to forgive him never going to treat him with anything but cynicism which is understandable But um, and Rafa Benitez has undoubtedly been very important in changing that perception in being able to reconnect he goes along with the events we know the involvement in the food bank although Lee Charnley I know for a fact has gone and volunteered at the food bank and never sought any um, publicity for that the club have backed that all the way they've put money in, they've been really keen on, on on projects like that but then the NUFC Foundation again, Charlie and the hierarchy of the club are really supportive of that and the NUFC Foundation was founded during the Mike Ashley era it's one of the few things that you would see in those early years, He got bang on and was a, was a great idea and a great initiative that they made sure that that did get put forward but, but as a, but as you're saying, Rafa Benitez is the glue that ties all that together He's created that bond which really had completely disappeared uh, and probably around the 2014-15 time, the end of Pardew, start of Carver and then into McLaren when there was just no real connect between the community and the club and it felt soulless to a large degree. That That's, that's changed and hopefully going forward it can grow even further if Rafa Benitez stays long-term. What else is
0: interesting is the, the amount of money you get in the championship. I mean, uh, just 2 million... And TV revenue, um, and then the amount of money you win for, for winning the championship.
3: It's yeah, so this year, finishing 10th, Newcastle got around £23 million as a merit-based payment from the Premier League. For winning the championship last year, they got £50,000 in a merit-based payment. No other team got a merit-based payment in the second year. Only Newcastle for winning it got £50,000, which is I think is worth a fifth of what the team or bottom of the Premier League get just in that merit-based payment so it just shows I mean the, the numbers are astronomical Newcastle got little more than £40 million pounds in parachute payment but then every Premier League team and not only did Newcastle lose £25 million pounds worth of TV revenue from the year before every Premier League team gained an extra £30 million pounds, so essentially the difference became £55 million. it was the worst year to get relegated when you'd miss out on that and this is where Newcastle missed the board to a certain degree and that's why they are they had to invest or, as my understanding is, the club thought there are two ways of doing it. They could have taken more like a Norwich approach, where you try and scale back, you try and come back up, look where Norwich are now, or you take the Newcastle approach, which Villa also took, and it can go horribly wrong. If Newcastle hadn't come back up the first time, a financial fair play would have come back and bitten them within a year. There would have been drastic cuts. Benitez would have gone, they would have had to have a fire sale of players, staff probably would have gone behind the scenes. It was essential. That they, had, they simply had to come up because what they did was completely unsustainable for a year. Thankfully it worked, but now going forward they can't pair back too much because they need to keep progressing. They're, they're not yet at a level where you can say they're comfortably a top 10 team. That's the argument Benitez is trying to make at the moment. Yes, we finished 10th, but only just. We're not comfortably in that top 10. And any team really from eighth, ninth down could have gone down this year.
0: Now obviously full analysis over on the website at Uk. we're going to move on now to uh, the Sir Boy Robson film Bobby Robson more than a manager uh, me and Chris went to see it a couple of weeks ago at the Tyneside Cinema There's a lot of people who worked with Sir Boy Robson in, in the media before he passed away um, and obviously Chris went to St. James's Park as well to watch it with many fans and, and then special guests ex uh, cast-minded players uh, fair to say Not a dry eye in the house really. I mean it it takes you on a a roller coaster of emotions.
3: It does, it is beautifully written and and like any of these things, it's probably people sitting at home thinking, Oh, no matter what it'd been like, people will come out and they'll say it was brilliant. I am genuine saying that this film is is excellent. It really does it it goes from being both hilarious and and funny to being emotional, informative. I learned things I didn't know about him and I thought I knew quite well. ...and everything that you get from that... ...you just connect more and more with him through it... ...and it's a very personable story... ...it's not just... ...what, what, what really encapsulated it for me was... ...you could not be a football fan... ...and you would love this film... ...because it's, it's about Sir Bobby... ...who just comes across as he is... ...charismatic... ...funny, caring, loving... ...but also just what he went through in his life... ...I mean... He, he, ...football for a start, 50-year career... ...both as a footballer, manager... Um, manager of the England team, manager of Ipswich manager of Newcastle United played for England as a player played for West Brom, played for Fulham but then you also go through everything else he achieved, his foundation which he referred to as as his last great team that all comes through in it and you just we were talking about it before, you just look at the the personnel who were in that film and the fact that they want to speak about Savory Robson the likes of Pep Guardiola, the likes of Jose Mourinho, Gaza. This is these are all the lives he touched and no matter how many years on, for someone like Terry Butcher, this is 30, 40 years on from when Sir Bobby managed him, still wants to speak about him and it just really does come across brilliantly.
0: I think I mean, we see Josie Marino smile in some of the footage. I mean some of the footage is unbelievable. I mean we were speaking to the to the makers of the film and they said, you know, we spent months trawling through archive so much had never been heard or seen before. And some of the footage, you know, it is quite remarkable just to, first of all, to hear Sir Bob Robson's voice. It is like he's there with you and it does send shivers down your spine. It is, you know, very emotional from his voice breaking about how he was trapped as England manager to the passion and the fight when he talks about taking on cancer for the third or fourth time, you know. Um, and then you've got the footage just of him in Barcelona where he's on it riding a little bike and he's waving at the... At the, uh, at the TV cameras or the, the off-air footage when he's titting the, the mickey out of someone's T-shirt, you know, a very funny, charismatic man. It, and you would say that what the film does show is what we already kind of knew about him. If you followed Newcastle United, if you followed Supergirls and you knew he was this wonderful, uh, caring, funny, charming man who didn't always mean to be funny, That's have to be said. And then it just nicely pieces it together. I think Lady Elsie's involvement in it, you know, obviously the family were asked and they've been very happy with, with the final outcome and but I think Lady Elsie being then she speaks on, on camera about about certain events during his career and it is really does pull on the heartstrings.
3: It does. I mean Lady Elsie is doesn't like to do media over the air, she's she's never wanted to, to take that on, yet she's done wonders with, with the foundation and, and, and she's done Sir Bobby Proud and she really is the star alongside Bobby in the film. She, she's, she's excellent and she's funny, she's charismatic as well. You can see where the connection is between the two of them would have been. And it does take you on a roller coaster through it all. I mean, Ga- when Gaza's speaking, there won't be a dry eye in the house when people are, s- are sitting there listening to that. To some that bit is, is probably the, the key moment of, of the film in terms of just seeing the, the connection between the two of them. But what I found fascinating is, is the interviews in it as well. First of all, I have to be honest. I didn't know how well Brazilian Ronaldo spoke English. There's only about three or four lines in the entire film where he speaks in Spanish. The rest of it, or Portuguese, sorry, the rest of it, he speaks uh, in English. Very, very good English. And the affection with with he speaks about Sir Bobby is, is amazing. Uh, and I have to say, my favourite interviewee in it is is Pep Guardiola, just because you, you see him in press conferences and he seems to be moving up and down. And, and in in the film, the way that the way the interviews are shot. The, the the shots are quite tight and so you've got the manager most of them say Jose Mourinho sitting there and doesn't move that much so they're always in focus Guardiola's moving backwards and forwards and he's all over his and just see you can just see because of the the genuine affection and love he has for Sir Bobby and he wants wants that to come across and I just I just have to say I thought it was excellently done we can all argue that maybe it should have been longer on his time at Newcastle he could have spent more time on his playing career but when we spoke to the directors after, when we saw the film initially, they just said we, we had to try and limit... The, the, the biggest challenge we had was limiting what we had to put in this film because there's just so much you could cover. I suppose the biggest the biggest fight
0: obviously came at the end of his life for the fifth time. Cancer, you know the legacy that he's left, £12 million raised through the foundation is, is unbelievable. And you can go through his career, You know, brilliant... You know, playing career which a lot of people forget about. Ipswich success. You even got Fulham before that as as well. Um, you know, England uh, conquering Europe with the likes of Porto, Sport, and uh, PSV, Barcelona, obviously. Uh, back to Newcastle, which is kind of the, the dream ended. And then you've got this section where he's battling cancer. He's, he's not letting it defeat him. He knows what's going to happen. He's gone out and he's raising money for others to help. You know hopefully cure the, 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 the disease one day and that's a big story to tell you could do it you could do a documentary just on that alone so to get all these in, sections in what was it about 90 minutes worth of, of yeah, about of, 90 minutes yeah um they've done a remarkable job
3: they have i mean the foundation really only comes in the last 10-15 minutes the, the cancers from the very start i don't want to ruin it from the very start and there's a theme all the way through Um, and you see how difficult it was from a minute. I knew he'd had cancer five times, but I didn't know how severe some of the cases were. I ignorantly just presumed that that because he'd had cancer five times the first couple of times, maybe it, was, it wasn't too much of an issue and obviously it became worse and worse and more severe over the years, but from the very start, it was very severe. And he speaks in the film about how, that yes, it was a time served as he had managing, but what he really wants to be remembered for is that he helped set up a foundation which one day could save lives. It's now one of the premier cancer units in the whole of Europe. Valuable research gets done there, Lady Elsie still supported the likes of Steve Harbour, uh, Alan Shearer, all the experts of Bobby Robson, they, they all support that alongside the NUSC Foundation and, and the work that they've done is phenomenal. It really does just show that, that even though football was his life to a large degree, he wanted to be remembered for so much more than that because he wanted to make a difference to people's lives.
0: Definitely, it's definitely worth a watch. It'll be at selected theatres uh, from the first of June, and then on order at uh, Blu-ray, DVD, digital download. I think from the fourth. Um, yeah, like I say get yourselves along to watch it because it's definitely, definitely worth uh, watching. Um, some great stories about who I would say the gentleman of the game
3: yeah i mean i think it's bobbyrobsonfilm.com i think that's what the actual website is if you want to go to it and order it or, or look for i mean we've got plenty of details on our website about it i know you've written a review which is it's going up and, and that's worth a read, and it tells you all you need to know and all the details um about it and, and money raised from that will go towards the Sir bobby robson foundation as well so as i say it, it's, a, it's a film that's certainly worth watching i'd be ready with the tissues Uh, by his side. Now I would I would make sure you set aside those ninety minutes to just sit and watch it because you'll want to enjoy it Um, and you'll want to be in a room whereby you can hear his voice booming because I have to say that was I saw it the first time which was brilliant but to see it at St James's Park last night with his voice echoing around the stand, the hairs on the back of my neck was we're standing up, Stephen Taylor was sitting just near me and I know that he had tears in his eyes at certain points, a player played under him all the players there ex-players did the likes of Simon Smith who goalkeeping coach Steve Harper and they you could just see how many people's lives he touched players and, and non-players and there was, there was organic applause at certain points when he was when he returned to Newcastle there was a, there was a, there was a cheer at the end of the film people stood up and applauded and I, I think that you'd probably see that around the North East and probably in Suffolk around Ipswich when people eventually see the film
0: Definitely and just to wrap up today's podcast just briefly speak about in uh, Perez, uh, being on Spanish radio uh, today, you know, kind of saying that I, I want to stay at Newcastle, I'm not really going in. We know, you know, Benitez, a big fan of him, you, you wouldn't dream of selling him, I don't think. No one's really been linked to than I think, um, Real Betis. But I mean, he's here to stay, he wants to stay. I think, again, it might come down to how ambitious the club are in the next few years, but for the time being, big part of Newcastle United, and he looks like he's he's, he's very happy.
3: Yeah, Jose Perez, we had Lascelles come out the other day and say, similar, that he, even though his interest from Liverpool, Chelsea, he feels he's at the right club at the right time and he wants to stay and both of their futures, in my opinion, are inextricably linked with that Rafa Benitez. Perez says all the time the amount that, that Benitez has done to bring on his own game and he still thinks he's got more to learn from him. He knows that Benitez trusts him and even if another number 10 does arrive this summer, as we expect, will happen if Benitez... Eventually gets a transfer budget you want, then Perez will rise to the challenge and will try and, and improve from that. But it, it shows the fact that because my my understanding is there is Premier League interest in Perez as well as from Real Betis. So we know Spurs are long term admirers, but then they're, they're not. I haven't heard specific clubs there's know Premier League clubs are interested in him the cells there's there's plenty of interest as well but these players want to stay they want to build because they know that if Rafa Benitez is here he's not going to settle for mid-table or just battling against relegation he wants to push on and they think that they can become better players under him so um, that would be what, I, what I'd say in terms of when you, we look back what we initially started with which was about the accounts yes Newcastle may have found themselves in a negative financial position but they're only more likely to get back there unless they invest Ensure the players they currently have, the ones who've served them so well, that they are going to help them progress by bringing in very good players as well, and, and really offering them terms, competitive terms, because Jamal sells as a contract till twenty twenty three, but his wages are really quite modest for a player of his stand and the captain in the Premier League in Newcastle. Maybe going to have to a bit of a rethink about those sorts of things going forward. These players want to stay for now, but unless Benitez is given a bit more freedom to recruit recruit stronger players to, to augment them or given more funds to, to give to these players, then that's when there might be a bit of an ease going forward.
0: Well, obviously, we'll keep you up to date with any transfer news, uh, any updates on off Benitez's future over at chroniclelive.co.uk. That's where we shall be. Thank you very much for joining us. and uh, We'll be back next week.